Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Today's guest is Willie Donick of 102.5 The Game. This episode is presented by the Well Coffee House, which turns coffee into water. The Well is a coffee house with the mission to bring clean water to the world. To date, over 30 communities across the globe now have access to safe water, health, and hope. You too can make an impact by visiting a Well Coffee House location today. There are four locations in the Nashville area. Those are Brentwood, Green Hills, Downtown, and Bellevue. You can get more info at wellcoffeehouse.org. The Well Coffee House, where coffee changes lives. We also thank our co-presenting sponsor, Wellspire, Nashville's Learning Development Center, which is located in the Gulch. Today's news is sponsored by Sutherland and Belk, a local injury law firm committed to helping those who have been injured in accidents. If you or someone you know has been in a wreck or other accident, reach out to Sutherland and Belk see what your rights are. You can find all their contact info online at sbinjurylaw.com. Vanderbilt travels to Kentucky for men's basketball on Wednesday night. Tip-off is 5.30 Central at Rupp Arena. The game can be seen on the SEC Network. Today's guest line is presented by Bowlin Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. Had no clue how much I would like Bowlin Branch sheets until I got some for myself. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to BowlinBranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code VANDY and get $50 off your first set of sheets. Willie Donick joins us now. Willie is the... TV play-by-play voice of the Nashville Predators. He is a talk show host on 102.5 The Game. Willie, how have you been? I'm doing well, Chris. Good to talk to you once again. Same here. I got to notice you went to a new look, I think, recently. You've sported the glasses now. Is this a new thing or did I just not notice? Uh, Yeah, I've started to wear them a little bit on camera. uh, I'm getting older. It's just one of those things where if there's notes to peek at, uh, to glance at, uh, my eyes are getting to a point where it's getting a little tougher to read what's on the phone or my chicken scratch handwriting. So, uh, about a year ago, I started wearing them just to read. And, uh, and so now I'm sporting them on the air for better or worse. I'm in the same boat. We are the same age and I can see things further away without contacts or glasses, maybe 10 times better than I once could, but it's the up close stuff. Like I'm having to give out medicines every day to kids, you know, ibuprofen or allergy meds or something. And I've gotten to the point where I just cannot literally read the labels. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm getting there. And and so I, I don't wear them when I'm watching and calling the game. Uh, It's just, it's just like I said, when, when I've got some notes written down or if I need to peek down at something, I have them nearby. Yeah. I feel your pain there, but. Speaking of pain, uh, man, basketball, what's left to say at this point? Well, there's not much you can say. Uh, I think it's just important that they keep playing hard. You know, that's, that's all you can do. Uh, and you never know what can happen on one night. Uh, if you, and I think that's what you got to fight. You got to fight for small victories right now. If you're Jerry Stackhouse and, uh, and you have to hope that you can keep the morale up because it is extremely difficult. And I've, I've been on some teams that, that have struggled. I mean, not, nothing like this. But uh, I did go through a time uh, my freshman year where we lost seven games in a row. And I, I'll tell you what, it, it was hard uh, to fight through it. We did end up fighting through it and end up winning the NIT. Uh, we could not 
quite salvage getting to the NCAA tournament, although we came close. But uh, we were playing great basketball by the end of the season. And so every team has got a level of, a, of potential, and it's different for every team. This team is very limited talent-wise, experience-wise, et cetera, in the situation they're in. But you just got to try to play your potential and see where that, see where that gets you, even though it, it, it may be tough most nights. Okay, the baseball polls are all out now, and Vanderbilt is number one in Baseball America in the coaches' poll. Louisville is number one in D1 Baseball, Perfect Game, and Collegiate Baseball. Vanderbilt number two in those others. Uh, what do you think about Vandy and life with the target on its back heading into the season? I think I think they've gotten to the point every year where – to a degree, they always have a target on their back. It's a big deal when somebody gets a shot at Vanderbilt. Tim Corbin a lot of times talks about those midweek games, you know, the, the Tennessee Tech, the Middle Tennessee, the Lipscombs, the Belmonts. They, they relish the chance to get a chance to play Vanderbilt. So I think these guys are ready for that to a degree, but I think it is, it is always extremely tough to repeat when, when you're the national champion. And so um, – That'll be part of the challenge, but one of the things that Tim Corbin and his staff really excel at is coming up with that mental psychology. You know, they'll start talking about it early. They'll start messaging that part of it, and that will be something that they try to thrive on uh, is accepting that challenge, you know, and making the most of that opportunity. See if you can, see if you can get through that barrier. That's, that's a great challenge to shoot for. Yeah, to what you said about that, you made a great point, and I thought that one of the most impressive things that they did last year was to lose, I think, just one midweek game, and that was to Austin P, which wasn't bad. I mean, Vanderbilt was obviously the better team, but Austin P. And is, that game was pretty pretty crazy, if I remember correctly. That Vanderbilt had full control of the game, and uh, some guys lost control a little bit in the bullpen. It was and I think was it maybe they were down to their last out or strike a couple of times, Austin P, and then still managed to come back and win. It was a pretty crazy game. Yeah, I think so. That night I was toggling between I just left the ballpark. They had a lead, and I was going to cover the basketball game. I want to say Vanderbilt played Florida that night. And so I was literally in the press box watching basketball, listening to the call of the game on the radio and watching it on Stat Tracker. And yeah, it was one of those things. And that was also one where Tim Corbin, I don't want to say he's like willing to take a loss, but he will put a guy in a spot to test him in a situation like that sometimes. And it may not go well. And I want to think that's a spot maybe they were trying to work with Jackson Gillis through some confidence issues and it went sideways. So there's that dynamic too. But I thought going through that and I know that the competition wasn't nearly as good as who they played on weekends, but you also consider they're using, again, lesser pitching sometimes. And also the fact that with all the rigors of Vanderbilt, it is very easy just to let down for a game or two or just get exhausted or whatever. And you can lose games that way. I thought the fact that they managed the midweek so well was indicative of what frankly was a phenomenal coaching job by Tim Corbin last year. I think it's a great point because you are trying to accomplish a number of different things, especially early in the season. You know, you're going to have some cold weather. Uh, you are trying to sift through where the pieces fit the best. He loves to get great athletes that can play several positions, and that allows them the flexibility to 
you know, try a Tony Kemp in left field? Or is he better off at second base? Who's our shortstop? We've got several guys who could play it. Am I better off putting this guy at shortstop or this guy at third? You know, he, he'll try some different things. And so it, sometimes it takes a few weeks to figure out who your best group is in the field. And then, of course, there's the pitching, as you just said. And, uh, and there's, there's probably a night or two where the ball just doesn't fall. You might hit the ball pretty hard. Or you run up against the guy who's just having a great night on the mound. You know, he's excited to pitch against Vanderbilt. He's got his best stuff. So it's hard to go through that unscathed. You know, even though on paper you're sitting there going, how can, how can so-and-so hang with one of the best teams in the country? Well, ba- baseball is a funky game like that. So I do think that's the tip of the hat if you can go through without losing a whole lot of those games. Yeah, I remember in 2015, this was the year after they won the title, they were consensus number one preseason, had a lot of people back. I don't remember if it was, wasn't everybody, but a lot. And I remember they lost a couple of midweek games. Brady Puckett pitched maybe the game of his life to beat them at Hawkins Field one game. So that's part of it. The other part is what you said about transitioning and trying guys in different roles. I will just go ahead and make this prediction right now because it's almost guaranteed to happen. They are going to lose some games early in the year. They'll probably go through some hitting funks for a couple of weeks because they've got a young lineup. They will mix and match some parts, and fans will go, oh, man, they were overrated, and maybe they are. But it's almost a guarantee that some of that is going to happen just when you're breaking in a a young lineup. And that's where I want to get to you because you played there, and it's different under a different coach, but there are always some similarities in terms of breaking into the college game, getting adjusted to the speed of the game. Tell us the stuff about that that fans may not know. I think the biggest thing, a lot of these players come into Vanderbilt uh, having played at the highest level of travel ball, you know, the, the tournaments, the showcases where you do run up against some big-time velocity and stuff, let's call it, uh, among high school players. So they probably are, are better suited than maybe my generation was. I, I felt like when I got to the SEC, I was not overmatched by, by the stuff. Um, but it's, what, it, what they have is the command of the pitches. Uh, especially when you get into the SEC. Uh, I think a lot of the, the freshmen will jump in there and they'll, they'll have seen the velocity, but maybe they won't see a guy who can mix his pitches quite as consistently. Maybe in high school you face a guy here and there that really has the whole package, but some of the pitchers are, are either raw or the really good pitchers don't maybe throw quite as hard. So you're going to get a more full package when you get into – uh, college baseball at the Division One level. And then the other thing that you're dealing with a lot of times is what we just talked about, competition, where maybe early in the season you're a freshman, you're trying to break in, and you know there are three guys that are looking at the lineup card and saying, man, I, I'm probably good enough. I'm competing for this spot. And it's good for Vanderbilt as a whole because it's healthy competition. Tim Corbin does an amazing job of finding value in all players. But I do think it's hard in several of my at-bats, and I end up going 0 for 10 to start. For example, when I was a freshman, I went 1 for 24, and uh, I lost the job. You know, By the end of the year, I wasn't hitting, and I was more of just a pitcher at that point. And so getting off to a good start is important, and it, but there's a little pressure because there's competition. And uh, so if you go 0 for 8, you know, there's, there's another guy that's probably good enough to jump in there and get an opportunity. If that guy goes two for four, 
he might get a start in the next game. Yeah, and you were a good player. You made it to, was it double-A or triple-A? I wish. Uh, I, I didn't get past single-A. Okay, I thought but, you made uh, it higher. I, yeah, I always I always is sort of a regular in the pitching rotation somewhere, either coming out of the pen or a spot starter or a couple of years I was in the rotation uh, for a while. But uh, it was tougher. We had a lot of good position players. And so when I was playing basketball, when I, when I would come out, the lineup was already in the groove. You know, that we were always in need of pitchers, and that helped me. But position players, we had other guys who could hit. So if I, had to, if I was trying to dive into the lineup, it was not easy because there were some other guys who were capable. Yeah, well, the point I was getting at was that you were no slouch. And you went through some slumps and hard times. Just about anybody's going to do that. How do you handle that? What are the things the coaches do with you when you're going through a time where you say go for one for 24? How do coaches work with you to keep your confidence? What's that like as a player to go through that? I think that that's a very hard thing in college baseball because it's it's a – it's a relative short season. Let's let's compare it to the low minor leagues, where, for example, as, see, I I know all about struggles, right? I was drafted as a position player, and I had never really used the wooden bat for any length of time. So I started four for thirty-eight uh, with the wooden bat my first year uh, playing. I, I ended up recovering and doing fairly well that year, but it was an adjustment. The difference is in the minor leagues, it's not more about winning and losing that particular night. It's all about player development. So they'll, they can let you guys, uh, they can let the guys struggle. For example, uh, I was looking at some numbers for Derek Jeter the day that he was announced into the Hall of Fame. He hit 210 his first year in pro ball. And his second year in pro ball, he made 56 errors at shortstop. Now, you can't do that in the SEC because you're going to lose your job. You're trying to win every game in the SEC, and you're only playing 55 games or whatever the number is, and you're at a high level like Vanderbilt, you're trying to win. You can't afford to let a guy make that many mistakes. So that is the difference. So it, it's more about the reps in practice. It's more about, uh, you know, staying confident. And, and there's, it's sort of a double-edged sword. But uh, that is a tricky thing, especially when you have so much talent on the roster, like, like Vanderbilt does every year. You ready for the mailbag? I'm ready. Today's mailbag is presented by Mark Gent of Simply a Fan. Mark is organizing road trips to Vanderbilt baseball games this fall. Can hook you up with tickets, hotels, transportation, or whatever you need. There will also be a road trip to Knoxville for the women's basketball game with Tennessee this season. Go to simplyafan.com for more information. I know Mark well. I promise you he will take care of you and make your road trips a great experience. Okay, let's start with this one from a party at Rob's. Willie was of the opinion in the past that Vanderbilt might be better off playing its home football games than a new MLS stadium when it was built at the fairgrounds. It appears Mayor Cooper is not in favor of the city investing in the MLS stadium. Is it possible that John Ingram revisits the idea of partnering with Vanderbilt to build his stadium on campus? Would the university now be more receptive to such a joint venture? It's a, it's a really good question. And, and the first part that you address is all of a sudden uh, something I, I feel like I need to try to look into more. I just assumed that everything was going to be on track and eventually that stadium would go up. The MLS team is going to play their first years or their first games at that level in a little over a month. 
you know, they're, they're going to be an NFL team very soon. They're going to be playing in the football stadium. And so come to find out, I guess it's, you know, there's some cost issues and some things that are slowing down the process apparently. And I don't know all the, all the facts, all the details of it, but um, I did say a few years ago that if you're not going to build a new football stadium for the Vanderbilt Commodore football team, once that stadium is built, and I, I hope it still is going to be built, and even though it's not perfect, it's not on campus, what is the better choice? Continuing to play in a stadium that, at best, you can put a lot of money to and, and upgrade to a degree and keep it on campus, or the other choice is you play in a brand-new state-of-the-art facility, which is a little smaller, and, and you're and you have more amenities to offer your fans, I do think it's something that is worth considering if it gets to that point. But, uh, again, that maybe, maybe this is uh, taking a different pathway than we thought. Well, my understanding at the time, this was right after Vanderbilt had done all the stadium talk, and I think coaches were promising recruits, that, yeah, we're going to have a new stadium, and then Vanderbilt just reneged on the whole thing for whatever reason. I think John knew that Vanderbilt had no plans to do anything that was a, hey, here's a free win for everybody in this. And John, if John is going to do something, he's going to do it very well. And I thought at the very least, that buys you some time. Because let's say that the solution to what they do with Vanderbilt Stadium is right now is they do a renovation. They bought all this property right next to campus that apparently is not going to be used for athletics at all. I think once they start renovating that stadium and building other stuff, that completely, uh, that really totally tells you they're never going to do anything with the new stadium, more than likely. Um, I don't know. I just wonder if they missed their best option and maybe that bought them some time for something else. Well, you hear all kinds of different things. And, and like we have said before, any number of times in the past, you can you can reference times where, you know, a story is written or a report comes out somewhere about a great plan that somebody has. And you, I think recently I've, I've heard all kinds of excellent ideas for where to put a stadium, what you could do with it. Uh, what, what would you do with the old stadium? All, all of these things come up, but the, I, I don't know the question of wh what real traction there is for a new stadium. And so I, so going back to the original question, that my thought all along has been, listen, I'll believe it when I see it, when they decide they're going to build a new football stadium. But in the meantime, if this other stadium is going up, you'd be foolish not to at least look at the option of playing a few games over there. Uh, if, if it's a fact that they are going to deal with the football stadium as it is currently. And I know there's a ton of people that are just, it's a non-starter. They don't want the, the football games to be played off campus. But let's, but once that thing is up and running, if it's a beautiful stadium like I think it's going to be, then I think maybe people might look at it a little differently. Yeah, I agree with you. As far as the Vanderbilt in, there was a whole lot of stuff out there at the end of the fall, and it has just gone completely dark now. It has gone silent. I, I guess I haven't heard a lot of information. Uh, I can reference the, the long article where Joe Rex wrote in the athletic 
you know, followed Malcolm Turner around. They had all the, the former players in there. I've talked to some of the players that were in that, that meeting. And uh, I, I haven't heard a whole lot of follow-up there. And, you know, t- time is ticking. And you just have to hope that at some point you start to really get some traction on, on putting a plan, putting these ideas into play. Yeah, that thing Rex wrote did was good, but it now seems like it was an eternity ago. Bandy Nash says, what is your favorite thing about Memorial Gym? What would you change first about Memorial if given funds to make upgrades? Great question. Uh, What I love about Memorial Gym is that there's no other place like it in college basketball. there's There's just not. So I wouldn't change much. In fact, um, you know, I, I like some of the things that they've done. I think whatever you do, you have to try to make sure that you do not mess too much with the, the vintage feel of it. It's the biggest strength of that place. And I, I know it does create some inconveniences and, and little by little, I think they've done a good job. You know, for example, when, when I was playing, um, fans literally could, you could not walk around the building. You, you had, you had to cut across the court <laughs> You know, they put the ropes up to, because there was literally no way to get from one side of the gym to the other unless you went outside or you cut across the court. So they, they've done things over time uh, to improve it. I know the sound system is, is uh, so much better than it was. So honestly, I look at it. I, I, don't, I don't know a whole lot of things. Apparently, we, we'll be matched. You know, I don't, I don't know that I would do a lot to the gym itself. There's probably some other things, you know, on the interior, you know, behind the scenes, the offices, the, the, some of the things uh, on the outside of Memorial Gym or on the concourses that could do. I, here, here's the other one for me. Air conditioning in the gym is something that, that comes up a lot. And uh, I don't know, like, w- would that really make that much of a difference? Uh, it, because you're basically talking about the impact of what happens in the summer. I think we've all, it's like a rite of passage for all the Vanderbilt players to play pickup ball in the summer in that gym with no air conditioning. You, you can probably lose 10 pounds if you play for a couple hours over there. But does that really help you win games at the end of the day now that they have the practice gym that you can play in? I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's the best use of the money or not. Well, the problem with Vanderbilt is they're so far behind on basics that by the time you take care of those to get to the things that help you win games, uh, the cost has grown. Yeah, but but Memorial Gym to me is not the problem. It's still a huge strength to me. It's the there's there's it's it's one of a kind, and when you have one of a kind, you you protect that, uh, you know, and you preserve that. It's a, it's a Wrigley Field, it's a Fenway Park type of thing. You do not mess with that. Okay, two more quick questions before I get you out of here. Papa Hick VU says, how depressed are you in regards to the state of the basketball team? Do you believe the administration will finally take college athletics seriously and invest and support it, or is it just smoke and mirrors? We've touched on both of those, but here's your opportunity to wrap up any loose ends there. Well, I, I, I keep the faith. You know, I, they, they've, had, they've been dealt some very, very difficult circumstances. When you have players as special as Darius Garland and Aaron Neesmith have the season ending injuries that they've had, that's bad luck. You know, you, that, that's something that you, you can't control that. Um, in terms of the investment, the commitment, 
you know, in talking to some of the people around Vanderbilt, they've made a commitment to basketball. You know, it, it is not showing up right now, but, you know, they have given Jerry Sackhouse a lot of resources. Um, and there's just no way you can see the fruits of that right now. Uh, the, the time will tell whether he can turn these resources into a better product on the court. He's got to get better players. He's got to develop the players he has, et cetera. But uh, I don't know. If, would you agree, Chris? I, I think they have shown uh, a serious commitment to, to Vanderbilt basketball. Well, I think the financial end of it, yes. I think the way that it was used was totally misguided. If that, I mean, look, I'll, I'll put it this way. When you have 10,000 consultants and assistants to, to such and such, and you got one guy out on the road recruiting, uh, that's commitment, but I don't know that it's wise commitment in the way that it plays out. Right, but that's your coach's job, to decide how to use those resources. And that's what he's been hired to do. Now, we'll, we'll, time will tell if he should have done different things with that, maybe three less people or et cetera. But, you know, the bottom line is all Malcolm Turner can do is to say, what do you need? You know, I, let me provide it for you. That's all a coach can ask for. It's then up to the coach to put the product together. And as we said, when Jerry Stackhouse was hired, he was coming from outside the box. Malcolm Turner knew that. He had never been a college coach. He had never been around a college program uh, as anything but a player. And that was a long time ago. He had been in the NBA. So you knew that that was going to go outside of the mold, but that's, that's what they chose to do. So we'll find out if that works or not. Um, right now, like I said, I, you can, you can pull John Wooden out. You know I mean, take, take a name, the, the, the biggest legendary coach. What could you do with this particular team under these circumstances with the injuries? I mean, that, 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 that you have a limit. So we can't judge where they are today. It's where are they a year from now? Where, they, where are they two years from now? What is the commitment level? And what does it start to look like once he starts weaving his web? Well, to rebut my own rebuttal, everything that you just said was why I was so optimistic when this Turner partnership started, because that was one sign that they were willing to spend money on athletics that was right out there in front of us. I just don't think it was well executed. Um I know that you've got to get out of here, so I want to ask you one more quick question. HMHS wants to know your thoughts on the MLB sign ceiling controversy. Should players have been punished? Uh, if you were on the Astros or Red Sox, would it diminish in any way how you felt about being world champs? Well, I think those teams will look be looked upon a little differently. I, we'll, we'll see what comes out on the Red Sox. I, I keep hearing that what, what the Red Sox – did was not as elaborate, but let's wait and see what Major League Baseball finds and announces with that group. I do think, just from what we've seen so far, the Astros will always be looked upon differently uh, than some other world champions, even though I don't know all the details. Uh, I would like to know more details on just how often they had the signs. Like, for example, I think it's fair to say they didn't know every pitch every game. That was coming, right? They would have they would have won a lot more games than they did if that were the case, right? Um, what did they have on the road as opposed to what they had at home? Their road record and their home record was exactly the same. So I'd really like to delve in deeper of just how much of an advantage they gained because it, it could be a wide range. For example, now nobody hit four hundred, nobody hit sixty homers, right? They, they all. 
they had they were they were a great team. Like if they didn't have any advantage at all, I think they would have been a really good team. Now, was it the difference between winning the World Series and not quite making it? Maybe, right? I, I think they they and they clearly it was the effort that they made to get an advantage that was just dead wrong. But uh, I, I I think it's going to be very messy to try to get into which players were doing what what particular night we have to have a lot more information before we really uh, can decide that. But I, but I think it's just, Hey, they did it. That's the first thing. And so they'll always be looked upon differently because of that alone. But, but I am curious about all the details. Yeah. And to further your point, both those teams have a lot of good and great players who were good and great in a lot of other places too. Oh yeah. And, and that, and some, some would say, Hey, that's not the point. The point is they cheated. And, and when you cheat, you don't, you don't get that benefit of the doubt. But I'll tell you what, if I were a player I, and I didn't get a whole lot, if it may, maybe I had three games where I had the pitches or whatever it was, then I'd kind of want it to be out there. You know, if it wasn't that much, you know, for all, for all people know from the outside, they had every pitch of every game. I don't know. Yeah, that, those are. But some, we know they did it. We just don't know. We don't know the extent of it. Yeah, I'm, you, you make some really good points there. Um, I would further this conversation, but I need I know that you need to get to your job that actually pays you, uh, which this one does not. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, I'm going to let you go and just want to give you the floor to advertise anything with your shows, your broadcasts, whatever you need to, to get out there. The floor is yours. All right. Thanks, Chris. Uh, well, we've got 1025 The Game is the place you can hear me. Every Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. with Darren McFarland and Chase McKay. And then you can follow me on Twitter at WillieD1025. And, of course, uh, all the Predator broadcasts on Fox Sports Tennessee. Thank you, Willie. Thanks, Chris. All right, he's Willie Donick of 102.5 The Game. I'm Chris Lee, the host of the Vandy Sports Podcast. We will have at least one more of these coming this week. Thank you for listening. And we will catch you again very soon with another episode of the Baby Sports Podcast.